you got your Bible, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to do a little bit of review with you, especially for those who are new with us and um, have not been um, with us through this series. We've been walking through First and Second Peter. We're 24 weeks in and have um, just a handful of weeks. Uh, we'll be finished through, uh, by the end of July. We've got a couple of other things kind of happening in there. Um, so, uh, so by the end of July, we will be through it. Um, but we started Second Peter um, just a couple of weeks ago. Last week, we picked up in verse 5. And so in your Bible, or if you have your YouVersion Bible app, you can turn um, to Second Peter or click the button for Second Peter. Um, I'm in the CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible, if you want to follow along uh, word for word as well. Um, there's outlines that were given to you, or they're available in the small foyer outside of the auditorium, and it'll be on the screen. So um, go ahead and uh, kind of stop at verse 5. That's where we're going to kind of pick up for our review in just a moment. But last week, um, I shared with you that faith is the foundation um, for our new life in Christ. In verse 5, Peter told Christians to make every effort to supplement their faith with certain godly characteristics and values. And so um, that word supplement, we talked about supplemental insurance. It, it, it's not intended to take the place of your primary insurance, whether it be health insurance or life insurance, but it's to add to um, whatever it is that you are supplementing. And so for supplemental insurance, you're adding to that primary insurance. And when it comes to our faith, we're either adding to it or we're building on it. And so we don't have to add faith in, uh, add to our faith in order to be saved. Um, our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in Jesus alone. There's nothing to add to that. There's nothing that we have to um, build, um, uh, you know, in our own effort, in our own abilities, in our own works in order to achieve salvation. Um, our salvation is by faith alone through by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. However, our salvation being the foundation of our new life, um, it is the starting point. Um, it is that foundation of a new life in Christ. I told you it's like the uh, uh, concrete pad that you would build a home on. The concrete pad is not a home. You can own property, you can have that concrete pad, and maybe you get some tax benefits from that like you would owning uh, your own home, but that concrete pad is not the home. Home. That concrete pad is the foundation by which you build the home on. In the same way, your faith in Jesus is not the Christian life. It is the beginning of the Christian life. In fact, I say oftentimes when people face challenges and suffering and difficulty and they have to walk by faith, that is the Christian life. That is where um, the rubber meets the road. That's where we actually have to live by faith and we have to actually apply the things of God's word to our life when it's difficult and it doesn't make sense. That is living the Christian life because living the Christian life is by faith, but, but faith is the starting point. And so God didn't just save us to sit idly by waiting to die so that one day we can go to heaven and, and all things will be perfect there and we don't have to deal with the difficulty. We don't have to stand up for truth. We don't have to be ridiculed um, like people in foreign countries. They don't have to be persecuted, thrown in prison, or even killed for their faith. They could just sit by idly. Oh yeah, I trust Jesus. I don't have to tell anyone. But then one day, Christ will re return or I'll die and then I can go to heaven and I can live in perfection and it's all good. 
No, he actually calls us to build upon this faith that we have in him. In fact, earlier in Peter, if you remember, he referred to us as spiritual houses. And so he calls us to faith. He gives us faith so that we can apply that. But then um, he tells us we are his workmanship made new in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he planned for us long ago. God builds our spiritual homes, our spiritual houses on that basis of faith as we apply and as we um, build with these characteristics. And so as a review, looking back to verse five in chapter one of second Peter, it says this, supplement your faith with goodness. We said that was virtue or moral excellence. Um, then he says, um, supplement that goodness with knowledge. We said knowledge was moral wisdom, a deepening, enlarging, and perfecting understanding of God's word, of this Christian life that we're called to live. It starts with the basic understanding, the basic knowledge, but then it's deepening, it's enlarging, it's growing, um, and perfecting itself. Then he says, supplement knowledge with self-control. We said self-control was a fruit of the Spirit. Um, to have self-control, we must have the help of the Holy Spirit. It is produced within us. We can't do it on our own. Every one of us have tried to control certain things in our life, to be self-controlled from the desires, from the temptations, from the hurts, the habits, and the hang-ups. And we've tried to be self-controlled in those ways, and we couldn't do it. In fact, if you've ever struggled with an addiction or a hurt habit or hangup, and you've gone through rehab or you've gone through some kind of recovery program, the very first thing they tell you, the very first realization that you've got to come to is, I am powerless to do this on my own. I need the help of God. And so uh, then we're going to su supplement. Well, and self-control um, is really the ability to master one's desires and passions, especially in sensual appetites. That's why we know um, we cannot do that on our own. We can't master that on our own. But then he says, I want you to supplement self-control with endurance. That is patience, being steadfast. It's constancy. We said last week constancy was being faithful and dependable, something that we need in this culture, something we need in this day and time. We need people. We need Christ followers who are faithful and dependable. It's perseverance. It's persevering through the struggles. It's persevering through the temptation and the difficulties. It's persevering even through um, the persecution, uh, when those who face persecution, that's why they are an example to us. They're an encouragement to us. That's why we want to pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, because they are showing a strong faith as they stand steadfast for their faith and for Jesus, no matter what they face. And then he wants us to um, supplement endurance with godliness, continue to build this spiritual home with godliness. That's reverence towards God. It's a respect of Him. It's not like fear that we get it wrong and He's going to strike us dead. It's fear that He could. It's fear of how powerful and mighty He is. It's fear of how holy He is. It's a reverence. It's respecting Him. Um, then He wants us to build on that 
godliness with brotherly affection. We said that um, though it's not the word phileo, it, it matches up with, it identifies with the Greek word that means brotherly affection, that it, it's the love that Christian brothers and sisters share between one another. Then he wants us to grow that brotherly affection and add to it with love. That's the agape love. That's the God kind of love, which is a covenantal love. It's a never-ending love, a sacrificial love. And so these virtues that he has called us to, and he's called these Christians to, who were in a much more difficult situation than you and I were, they were being persecuted. They were being crucified. They were being put into the Colosseums with animals. They were being burned alive. So, so they were facing these struggles and these difficulties. And he's like, look, I don't want you to just have faith. I want you to build on that faith with certain things. And these truths are transferable. And this is how we build a life that, that glorifies God, but also builds that solid Christian life on top of that foundation of faith. So then today, 2 Peter chapter 1 at verse 12, where we left off at a verse, we, we finished with verse 11. Now we're going to pick up in verse 12. This is what he says. And I almost skipped this passage today because it was like, okay, he's just closing out what he said in verses 5 through 11. But there's some important things here that we can learn from Peter. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. You can write this down. Whatever is true and right should be repeated. Whatever is true and right should be repeated. We understand this because we repeat certain things in our life that are good and or pleasurable. If they're good for us, we might repeat them. If they are bring us pleasure, we might repeat them. Uh, I'm not going to go through a whole list of the pleasurable things in life, but you can, you can kind of figure that out on your own and the things that we, we repeat over and over again. But it could be exercise and healthy diet. Um, at the beginning of the month, I said, hey, I want to lose a certain amount uh, of weight. Last year, this time, well, actually, I think I'd fallen off about this time, but I was consistently running five miles. Then I got COVID at the end of July and 1st of August, and I tried to run again in October, and it was like I had half my lung capacity. It was very difficult. And I let that be an excuse to, to, to get out of the habit of repeating the things that I needed to do. And running, you'll find really quick, is very pointless if you also don't follow it up with a healthy diet. Um, you can, these little, you know, smart watches and things like that, it'll tell you how many calories you burn in a run, especially in a five-mile run. Um, and you go, wow. I, you know, I don't need that ice cream. You know, I, I really could do without that because I don't want to have to run just to burn that off. And so it's very helpful. And, and so you repeat those things that are healthy, that will help you, that are good for you in your health. It could be checkups with your doctor to, determine, to detect certain illnesses or cancers that you would repeat that um, they, they encourage that every year after you get to be a certain age to go to the doctor to have a checkup. Why? Because it's good for you or it could lead to early detection of something that when you're treated, it's good for you. So we repeat those things. When, when you're in sports, if anybody ever played sports growing up, you went to practice daily. Why? Because you practice, you repeated over and over again 
the things that you needed to do in the game. You would shoot free throws over and over again. You would throw a football over and over again. You would practice tackling over and over again. Why? Because in the game, you want to tackle right. In the game, you want to be able to hit free throws when you're tired. And so you repeated those things. If you were in ballet, if you were in some other gymnastics, you repeated those things over and over again that would help you. Movies. Some of you have seen movies multiple times. Why? Because you like it. It's pleasurable to you. I've, I've seen First Blood probably like Forrest, I mean, for, Rambo would just, I mean, demolish Forrest Gump, but he would bore him with his conversations, I guess. But, but, but uh, Brian loves Forrest Gump. Nikki loves Forrest Gump. I think she's probably seen it 20 times um, until we had kids. And then she's like, wow, I didn't know that was in Forrest Gump because growing up, I missed all of that. Um, or or uh, Titanic. Um, I think when we started dating, she had posters of the guy in Titanic, um, DiCaprio or whatever. Um, you know, it's like, how old are you? Um, and she had seen it like 11, 12 times. Why? Because she enjoyed it. So she repeated it over and over and over again. Some of you go to your favorite restaurant over and over. You repeat it. You get your favorite meal over and over again. Why? Because you repeat the things that are pleasurable to you. You repeat the things that are good for you. And what Peter here is saying is, I will, I will always remind you about these things. What things? The things that he had just talked about last week in verses 5 to 7 and beyond. He says, I'm going to continue to repeat these things. So what he's telling us is whatever is true and right, we need to be reminded of them. We, we need to be, those things need to be repeated in our life. Remember what he said in verse 8 to 9. For if you possess these things, what things? The things in verses 5 to 7. In increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. The person who lacks these things is blind and short-sighted and has forgotten the cleansing from his past sins. So he tells us if you possess those qualities, those virtues in verses 5 to 7, you're going to be useful and fruitful to God. So, so this is why he's saying this is very important because if you possess these and if they're growing in your life, if they're consistently making progress in increasing measure, your life is going to be of value and of worth and useful to God. And I asked you last week, is your life useful to God? Or are you useless? Because he says, if you don't possess these things, if you don't possess these qualities and these characteristics, then you are useless and unfruitful. In fact, he says, if you don't possess these things, you have become blind and short-sighted of the very gospel that saves us to the very things, the, the spiritual blessings that have been poured out in our life that have been given to us by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so he says, it's important that you possess these things. And in not only that you possess these things, but you possess them increasingly. And it's so important, I'm going to repeat them over and over and over to you again. So he was going to teach them the sound doctrine repetitiously, repeatedly, and always keep the most important things in front of them. Why? Because it was important. They needed to be in increasing measure. They needed to be applied to his life. And so he says this at the end of that portion. He says, um, I'm going to remind you about these things, even though you know them and are established in the truth you now have. He's like, so even though you know these truths 
and you possess these truths, like, I'm not going to keep these things from you. I'm going to continue to keep them in front of you. I'm not going to say you already know these things. As a, as a, a pastor who has grown up in church, I, I was probably, um, I was born on a Tuesday, I believe it was, if I've tracked back December 16th, 1980 years ago, I think it was a Tuesday. By that Sunday, I was probably in church, most likely. And so I have literally grown up around church. Uh, we've been in churches. My dad was a pastor. He's been a ministry leader. I mean, we, we, I went to Christian school. And so like I was always around the teaching of God's word. I was always around church. It, we had thir- uh, one church, we had a Thursday night service instead of Wednesday. Wednesday, they might go out um, visitation and inviting people to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, you had Christian school Monday through Friday. Then there were youth activities or there were family activities. I mean, it was, we were in, uh, saturated with the church. This was my life. And so it can be very easy for me as a pastor to forget what some people don't know, or to forget that maybe they've never been taught things, or to think, oh, this is commonplace, or this is known, and not to repeat the things that are most important, and not to repeat the truth that we need to have in front of us. The reality is, is American Christians have become consumer-driven, self-centered, and preference-dependent when it comes to the church, when it comes to our choice of what we allow to saturate our lives with. Uh, In fact, we no longer choose a church by its biblical content and accuracy or its commitment to the gospel. Instead, we choose our church by its ability to entertain us, to maintain our personal preferences, and to keep us comfortable. As long as you don't come out and call me out of my comfort zone. In fact, I'll give a lot of money as long as you don't call me to serve. Or I'll serve and give my time as long as you don't call me to be generous. Or, or, hey, you know, like, as long as you don't step on my toes with your teaching, I'm good. As long as I can leave here and I'm always uplifted and I'm never convicted, man, that's the place for me. As long as I, like, enjoyed service, I hear that from kids and teenagers, like, man, I just don't want to come to church because it's boring. This church is boring compared to what I grew up with? You got to be kidding me. Like, y'all got padded seats. I had hardwood pews. I had a dad that if I even murmured a word would look over and lift his eyebrow, and I knew I was in trouble. Like, you've got to be kidding me. But that's the mentality of this culture and this generation. And I'll just say, parents, it's not your kid's fault. It's your fault. And it's not just the adult's fault. It's a grandparent's fault. For generations, we've been moving in a direction that it's all about me, and we've talked about this in previous weeks. It's my way right away. It's what you want is what you get, and we've taken that same mentality that we are faced with and billboarded all around our city and on the commercials and on the internet that tells us that it's all about us and the world revolves around us, and what we do is we bring that philosophy, that ideology into the church. And we say, as long as I can have it my way right away, as long as it's what I want is what I get, then I'm good with this place. As long as you keep me comfortable, as long as you don't disrupt that comfort, then I am good. And so what we do is we all have this tendency to tune out and to check out when it's something familiar. Why? Because I've heard that before. You can sit in a service and go, oh, I've heard this passage before. I've heard this story before. 
I've heard this event before. I've heard this sermon before. And we check out and we tune out. But according to Peter, if it's right and it's true, we need to hear it even more. It needs to be on repeat, like that favorite song that you have when you're going through certain seasons of life, when you're down and depressed, when he broke up with you, when she cheated on you or whatever. And you're like, you play that thing over and over and over again. Like these things that are right and true need to be on repeat in your life because it's that important. If it's important, it needs to be repeated. And we understand that because we um, do that in every other aspect of our life. In fact, if you're new to studying God's Word and, and studying the Bible, there's an actually uh, an advised, recommended, kind of effective way of studying the Bible. They say, don't worry about just reading a chapter a day or um, reading a certain chunk of the, the, the Scripture and just kind of going over it. Go find one passage. F- find half a passage. Read it seven times before you move on. Why? What's, why do we read God's Word? So we can say we read the Bible? So we can say we read through the Bible in a, in a year? What does that do for you? I mean, you, you retain some stuff. We read the Bible and study the Bible to know it, to have that knowledge. And so I would rather you take one verse this week, if you're new to God's Word, and study it over and over and over again, read it seven, eight, nine times, and walk away at the end of the week and go, wow, I know God more and I know his word more, and I know what he wants from me more, rather than saying, you know what, I read 10 chapters this week. What did you learn? Oh, well, um, there was a story about... No, 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 no. The most important thing is that you saturate your life with the word of God, with the truth. You repeat it over and over and over again so that you know it, so that you can live by it, because as you know it and you live by it, you're going to build on that foundation of faith a spiritual house a life that honors and glorifies God. And so we all need to be constantly reminded of the truth. See, it's hard to be misled. This is what was happening in 2 Peter. There were corrupt teachers who were trying to mislead them, not only in their teaching, but also in their lifestyle, essentially saying, I can do this, and I can live by this sin, and I can give myself over to this sin because of grace. So it was an abuse of grace, and you'll see that later on, but these teachers are misleading them. It's very difficult to be misled by someone, a false teacher, a corrupt teacher, when the truth is fresh on your mind. You know how you protect from being misled by false teachers? You know God's Word. And I talked about this even last week, where um, like, it, it, it just comes natural. You go, hold on, hold on, hold on. Something's not right with that. Something's off with that at least enough to go dig into God's Word, to go to a spiritual leader, to go to someone that you um, do uh, maybe in a, your community group facilitator or someone in group to go, hey, th- this popped up this week. Is this what this means? Or, or this just doesn't set right with me and seek to, to understand it on a deeper level. How do you do that? How do you detect that? Because you know God's Word. Because it's in repeat in front of you constantly. And I wonder, are, you, are, are we a part of that um, culture? Are, are we a part of that, it's kind of all about me? A couple weeks ago when the air conditioner wasn't working correctly, I, I said, that's a good test. But is the gospel enough? Is being saturated with the truth of God's word enough? Is it enough for you? Is it enough for your family? Or do you need to be entertained? Do you have to receive or... or um, what you perceive to be a new and a fresh revelation. You'll hear that in some churches today. Got a new revelation? No, you don't. 
God's word is the complete revelation of what you need. God's word is all that you need. It is the truth by which that has been given to you. It is God breathing, fully inspired to direct your life to honor and glorify God. The Bible is not about you. It is about God. It is about Jesus. And it is about leading you in a way that honors and glorifies him. It is the full revelation of Jesus, not about living your life better and having life your way and being successful and and all of those things that we look to the Bible for. It is that you will live a successful life that honors and glorifies God. It is about him, not about us. And so there does not need to be any new or fresh revelation. God's word is as fresh as you will get. It applies to every aspect of our life, every circumstance that we face, and there is nothing more that we need. The problem is we've grown bored with the familiar. We've grown bored with the things that we know already or that we've already received, and we want something new and something fresh to entertain us so that we feel like we've received something that maybe other people haven't received. And that was the Gnostics. Oh, I have a secret truth. I have a secret knowledge about God. And and people will be misled in that way because, well, how do I unlock that? Well, if you give a certain amount of money, if you do this, if you act in this way, I can help you unlock that secret. No, we have all of the revelation of God in Scripture. It's been revealed to us. We have the Holy Spirit to confirm it in us. We need nothing more. Now, there's great books out there that will help us understand God's Word more, help us to apply God's Word more. I'm not against that. I'm not against commentaries. I've heard people preach against commentaries. I'm not against any of that. Those things will help guide us and teach us, but we don't need just those things to feel like, man, I've got me a fresh revelation. Let me tell you what God revealed to me today. Well, I hope it aligns with his word because that's what is truth. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to just hover there. Um, do, you, <laughs> do you also need comfort or the fulfillment of your personal preferences? Like, is the gospel enough? Is the truth enough for you. He goes on in verse 13 to 15. I think it is right, as long as I am in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder. Since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as our Lord Jesus Christ has indeed made clear to me. I told you last week he was on his way out. He refers to his life as this bodily um, tent, and he knows that God, Jesus has made it clear to him that he's about to die. Verse 15 says, and I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at any time after my departure. Write this down. Christians need to live awakened with a sense of urgency. Christians need to live awakened with a sense of urgency. See, Peter didn't want Christians to become apathetic towards the things of God or to drift into laziness, no longer building on their faith. That's why he's giving them these virtues and these characteristics. He has this sense of urgency. He used the remainder of his life. He's like, look, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, which is only going to be for a short time, I'm going to remind you of these things so that you can recall them at any time when you need them, because I'm no longer going to be here with you. See, his, his um, mission at this moment is to wake the Christians up and to remind them of what was right and true, to use his life. And here's the reality for every one of us. We do not know how much time we have left. 
We, I, I'm not promised tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. See, we have to have a sense of urgency. We have to live awakened to the reality of the world that we live in, understanding that we have limited time. And if you did die tonight, if you did die tomorrow, if you don't make it to the end of the week, what will people remember of you? What, what will they know of your life? Will there be anything in your life that points back to the, the, the gospel, to the truth of God's word that you stood on these things? Have, have, will you have invested in other people's life to the point that they can remember what Nick said in these moments, what Nick taught in these moments, what, what Nick taught me about God's word? Will they remember those things? That's what he wants of them. He says, so that you can recall these things at any time when I'm no long, when, after I have departed. See, the internet we know can be um, used for both good and for bad. And, and so um, I have joined, uh, uh, you know, I get group invitations all the time. Um, can't join them all. But there's a group that I joined a while back. It's been probably over a year. But it was started by um, podcast that I listened to. And this podcast was started um, with, the, with the goal of helping people who have kind of left out of legalistic fundamentalism find healing and hope and freedom from that legalism. And so they started a group, and then they thought as they met other podcasters and other Christians and built friendships, that it would be great because they have this large platform to start a network. And, and on this network, basically, the goal was to expose people to other unique podcasts, but that were united around the fundamentals of the faith, those primary things, those things that like we will die on the hill on, um, we'll unite around those, but we're not going to be divided on secondary issues or, um, you know, preferential issues. We're going to be united on the, the, the fundamentals of the faith, but we're going to be unique in our approach. And so they start this network and invite people in, and the whole idea was to um, be united in that way, but to be different. But it soon um, was discovered by a lot of people that, that one of those podcasts, um, interestingly, their name was The Church Split. And um, it's called The Church Split, but their goal was, I guess it was an ironic name. Um, I, I think I said it's, it was unironic, but um, I think the, they said the, basically their goal was to help unite the church around those issues that usually divide the church. But it soon became obvious to the listeners and the people who kind of tuned into these other podcasts, because now they've been elevated on this bigger platform, that they're not united on the fundamentals of the faith. In fact, they're kind of, uh, they, not only do they disagree with some of them in their teaching, and they would get on these pages and start debating, but they would also elevate other podcasts on their podcast that also were blatantly um, teaching false doctrine. And so they're misleading people. And so to bring about this kind of, and, and these were doctrines like the deity of Christ and penal substitutionary atonement and, you know, just basic things that are core to the Christian faith. And so what they did, the original podcast to bring about unity, basically said, look, we're going to come up with a statement of faith and we're going to ask all of those who are on our network to sign this statement of faith so that we're united around the fundamentals of the faith. There is no um, distinguishment on, on these core things, but when it comes to secondary things, when it comes to preference, preferences, we, we don't have to be united, but we're going to spell out what the, what the fundamentals are. 
and they refused to sign this statement of faith. In fact, um, all this drama blew up online. Um, there's another group that I'm a part of that's kind of connected. A lot of people are in the same group. It's more of a meme group, and um, you see things pop up from time to time, and so this one girl who was also in both of the groups, it kind of blew up in both groups, um, she said this, um, I don't know if she's a girl, a lady, um, but she, uh, profile pictures are hard to see, but she said this about the original group where the, 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 the host had to stand for truth. She said, I no longer feel safe in that original group. She's saying this in the other group. Now, she repeated this multiple times over a number of weeks, and once again, the podcast host, all they asked them to do was to sign a, uh, a statement of faith they, uh, to unite around those fundamentals. They stood against heresy and dangerous doctrine and teaching, but it made people uncomfortable needing a safe space. It's essentially like saying, don't challenge me and make me feel uncomfortable. I'm okay with false doctrine as long as I feel safe. Like, don't, don't disrupt my safety and I'll be okay. But, but all these, all the hosts did was say, I want you to sign a statement of faith so we're united around sound doctrine and, and we'll be united. And because a big blow up happened, they had to stand on the truth and say, these are the things we believe in. And suddenly people didn't feel comfortable. They weren't being attacked. They weren't being singled out. It was just being pointed out that these are the things that we believe, and these are the things we're going to be united on if you're going to be in the network. And so it's like saying, hey, look, I'm okay with the false teaching as long as I feel safe. As long as there's no drama, as long as there's no challenge here. It's like saying, don't disrupt my status quo. I'm okay with a dying church as long as the things in the church are my way. I'll be committed to the things of God or to this church as long as it's convenient and doesn't uh, cause discomfort to me. And the reality is there's millions of people all around us in this city, maybe not in this city, but if you count even the cities beyond this city, I don't know if we're at a million people yet or not, but there's millions of people in the state of Georgia around us, near us, that are, that, that are hopeless looking for answers, looking for hope. There's millions of people who, um, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, without even the foundation of faith, will face eternity separated from him in eternal torment, conscious torment. It is vital, Christian, that you know God's truth, which is the only truth. Because there's not God's truth and your truth and their truth and my truth and his truth. No, there is truth. It is God's truth. It belongs to God. It originates with God. And it is vital that we know it. It is vital that we understand it. And it is vital that we have it repeated often. The global church needs teachers and preachers who have an urgency about giving the people the truth they need to not only um, live by, but what they need to hear rather than what they want to hear. My job as a pastor is not to sit down during the week and go, now, what do the people want to hear? What would they like to hear? What will keep them tuned in at New Passion? What will keep them filling the seats at New Passion? That is not my responsibility. My responsibility is to take God's word, number one, and preach it as God's word, and number two, share with you the truth of what you need to hear, no matter what the fallout is and no matter what the consequences are. 
That means if you don't like what is preached, if it aligns with God's word and you no longer want to be here, that's not my problem. I will hate to see you go, but I cannot shape my sermons and I cannot shape what I teach to you based on what you want to hear. Because there's oftentimes I sit down to God's word and I don't want to hear what it has to say to me. I don't want to hear the the conviction. I don't want to deal with the conviction that it gives to me. But you know what? It's God's truth. And it's what I have to apply to my life. Christians must know what is right and true. And just like the first century Christians had false and corrupt teachers misleading them, you and I have them today as well. And we're more inundated. It's the, the, the access to them is so much easier through bookstores, through online uh, podcasts and YouTube. And I mean, we, we can access false teaching and bad doctrine much easier than they could in this day. But we're similar in the fact that we face the same challenges. We must know what is true in order to stand firm, to persevere, and not be led astray into spiritual corruption. Peter made sure they could recall these things at any time after his death. He said, I want you to be able to recall these things. As a pastor, it's not my responsibility to make you dependent on me for your spiritual growth. Here's the reality. If you're dependent on me, your spiritual growth is going to be stunted. It'll fall away. I'm human. I'm not always going to be there with you. Some of you will be transferred out of our area because of military or job. Uh, some of you, you, know, uh, you might retire and move off. Like, I'm not always going to be there for you. Some of you might get sent to a place that doesn't have a solid Bible teaching church, and you might have to lead your family yourself. You can't be just dependent on a pastor. God uses the pastor and he uses teachers and he uses the, the, the gifting of his people in the church. But you're not always going to be promised to have someone right there with you holding your hand. So if you're dependent on me, then during the week when you're at work, your, your growth is going to be stunted. My job as the pastor is to teach you the truth of God's word, to teach you the gospel and the things that you need to hear so that when we're no longer together, you can continue to grow. You've, you can recall those scriptures and that truth when you face temptation. You can recall what is right and true when you're in difficult situations, when you're tempted, when you're suffering. You can remember what God's word says. Christians, it's time for us to wake up and it's time for us to live with a sense of urgency, not only for ourselves and for our families, but also for those who are also being misled and are deceived. There are many people in our world who claim the name of Christian, but they are following false doctrine that does not lead them to Christ, but leads them to themselves and leads them to religion. We must live with urgency. We must live awakened to the truth so that they can see the difference in us and so that we possess the truth so that when we have those conversations, we can lead them well and we can lead them right. We must wake up. We must have urgency, especially if we are parents and we have children. See, because the church is not the, the, the place of spiritual training for your children. It is a place. It is not the place. We have less time with your children than you do. We have less time with your students than you do. You are the spiritual leaders. Look at what Moses said to Israel. And we'll close right after this. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, Listen, Israel, 
the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children, parents. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and you, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Essentially, this is what he's saying. This truth should be in your heart. What is he telling us to do there? If you hear that, if Moses is here today and says, look, everything you've heard today, this truth, the, the truth of loving God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When, when you hear that, what, what, what do you hear him telling you to have that on your heart? He's saying you need to memorize the truth. You need to not just read God's word. You don't need to just hear this truth. You need to memorize it. You need to get it inside of you. You know, if you ask me right now, like, hey, quote a Bible verse, like, I'd be like, what in the world? But it's amazing how many times I find myself in a situation or someone says something and I need to like respond from the truth of God's word, how quickly and easily a Bible verse will pop up. If you put me on the spot, it's going to be difficult. But in the heat of the battle, in the heat of the conversation, in the middle of when I need it, it comes back to memory. He's calling us to memorize it. He says to repeat them to your children. This is repetition. This is building that muscle memory. This is what athletes do. They build muscle memory so that when they're in the heat of the game, like, like Stephen Curry, like he can nail a three, um, like nothing. Why? Because he works on it, works on it, works on it. He repeats it over and over and over again. So it doesn't matter if someone's gardening. It doesn't matter if he's exhausted. It comes back because he's trained himself. It's muscle memory. We need spiritual muscle memory. We need to memorize and we need repetition. He says, repeat them to your children. Parents, that's to you, not to the pastor. That, that's, you, that's your responsibility. Today, if you're a parent, you go, if there's anything you walk away with, it's right there. Bind them as a sign. I'm sorry, talk about them constantly, he says. Whether you're in the home, sitting down, walking, whatever, talk about them constantly. What is that? That's saturation. Saturate yourself. Like, like keep pouring it in. Keep pouring it in. Yes, they've heard it before. Mom, I know this. Yep, keep pouring it in. I'm going to saturate you with the truth of God's word. Like you saturate me with questions. If I can do this, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I go here? Can I go here now? Can I go here now? Five minutes later, can I go here now? Can I do this now? You get that, right, parents? Time for payback. Take the truth of God's word and just keep oversaturating them with it. Mom, I know this. I know. Here, here it is again. I've heard this before. I know. Here it is again saturate them over and over. And then he says, bind them as a sign and a symbol. Essentially make this truth indistinguishable to who you are as a person. Like when they, when people see you, when they interact with you like this, the truth of God's word permeates you to the place they cannot separate you from it. And then he says, write them on your house and city gates. This is declaration. This is publicly declaring your faith. This is telling the world who you believe in, who you trust in, who your faith is in. It is showing your, your children that we are not ashamed of the gospel, but we will proclaim it boldly, courageously. It is declaration. Dad, 
you're the spiritual pastor of your home. You are the pastor of your home. I am the pastor of New Passion Church. You're the pastor of your home. Parents, you're the spiritual leaders of your home. It is your responsibility to lead your children in truth. And if we want to see change in our church and we want to see change in our country, it begins by you parents having an urgency, living awakened and teaching your children the truth and then repeating it over and over till you die. That means grandparents, you're not off the hook. You continue over and over. Why? Because we all need repeating we all need reminding over and over again. As we close, whatever God's speaking to you today, maybe it's as a parent that I need to be repeating the truth to my children. I need to be talking to them about it. I need to keep it in front of them. Maybe that today is the commitment you make. That's what you ask God to help strengthen you with. Maybe it's that, you know what, I, I need to quit being so about myself and I need to quit worried about being entertained and having some fresh revelation. And I need to commit myself to the truth of God's word, to the teaching of the gospel, if not at New Passion, somewhere that teaches God's word, not only for my sake and my spiritual growth, but for that of my family and the family that will come beyond that family. Whatever it is out of what you have heard today, whatever it is that you need to have a conversation with God, as I pray, have that conversation. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for in just this small portion that we can gain insight that is applicable to our life. I thank you that as Peter says that he is going to repeat these things for the Christians in the first century, that it aligns perfectly with what Moses was calling parents to do in repeating the truth of your word and loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and repeating it and talking about it. Lord, it didn't change. A thousand years might have passed. Two thousand years might have passed. And yet, it's still an applicable truth to every one of us. It was applicable for Peter. It was applicable for those Christians. And it's applicable to us. May we commit ourselves and devote ourselves to the truth of your word. May we learn it. May we grow in it. May we supplement our faith with these values, these virtues, these characteristics. But then, Lord, may we not be silent. May we teach others, especially for us as parents. May we talk about them and repeat them. So, Lord, if we've not been doing that, I pray that you convict us today. And I pray that we would repent. But also we would make a commitment that we're not condemned, but because we are free in Christ, we can start fresh and new today. That we can walk in that freedom, and, Lord, we can do better for our families. We can be better representations of Christ and we can lead them better in a, in a better way towards him so that they know the truth of God's word. Because God, we know they're going into very dark places in our school system and in the workplace and in the world. All they got to do is turn on the TV and the internet and they're being inundated with false teaching, with, with things that will corrupt their soul. Lord, help us to wake up and to have an urgency to lead our families in your truth. I love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.